0: And that's what the book of Acts begins to show us. That's what God wants to do, even in your life, in my life. He wants to show other people through us that He's very much alive, that He's not dead that He is risen, and that He's working, and that His power and all of that is still available to us today. And in a sense, each one of us, by the way we live our lives, should be evidence to other people that Jesus is alive. That's exactly what was happening in the book of Acts. That as God's people came together and were called out as the church was being birthed, Jesus Christ was making Himself very much alive through his followers. The first thing I want you to notice, though, is this. Let me just read the first couple verses. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time for prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried up who was placed at the temple gate called the Beautiful Gate every day so he could beg for money from those going in to the temple courts. couple things. First of all, I want you to notice partnership or partners. Notice that Peter and John weren't going up by themselves, were they? They were going up as a team. They were going up as partners. Listen, Jesus, even when he called his disciples and sent them out to minister, he called them out and he sent them out, what? Two by two. They were never to be alone. They were always to have partners in life and ministry. And God is no different today. That's again why we encourage people to connect with each other, to have brothers and sisters in Christ in their life that they can do life and ministry with. God wants us to have partners and partnerships and not be out there trying to do this all on our own, but know that other people have our backs, that we're praying for one another, we're supporting one another, we're encouraging one another. And we see that here in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were continuing what was started when Jesus was here. They were going up together as partners, as a team to the temple. Secondly, I want you to notice in a sense private is the next p word because they were going up to the temple to a place in the temple that was set apart for prayer and this wasn't so much a place for public prayer it was a place where people could get alone with God and be there to privately commune with God now the reason why that is important is for this reason One of the things that we see happening here in the book of Acts is that we see a lot of public ministry. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But notice, before public ministry, there's private communion with God in prayer. You know, the the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts were all about the priority of prayer in their lives and spending time alone with God. And, and the point I want to make, and that God reemphasized to me through this, was my public ministry and who I am going to be and what I'm going to be as a Christian in public before others is very much dependent on what I am in private. And that I've got to make sure, you and I have to make sure, that we are spending time alone with God that we are fellowshipping with God, that we are communing with God, that we are just talking to God in prayer, that we are letting God speak to us, and that we are having that private time. Because if we fail to have the private time with God, then our public ministry, our public service will suffer. Because one of the things that God wants to do is use our private time with Him partly to fuel and give us fuel for our public ministry. And so we see that laid out here in Acts 2. Not only did they have partners, but they also made sure that they had that private time with God, which then led to public ministry. And notice where they were going. They weren't going somewhere to isolate themselves. They were going to the temple. (laughs) And that's where they were going because, again, that was an example that Jesus laid out for them. In fact, when they came to arrest Jesus back in the Gospel of Matthew, he says to those who were arresting him, every day, every day I was in the temple teaching, talking to you about the things of God. Every day. So Jesus was modeling for them that long before that they were doing, and they were just continuing what Jesus laid out for them by example. Why were they going to the temple? Because that's where people needed to hear about God. That that's, that's where they could witness so, so, yes, God wants us to, to come apart, if you will, and, and, and be in communion with Him in private. And God certainly wants us to have our times where, as the church, we are the called out assembly and we get together corporately to encourage and support each other. But all of that, too, is to help and encourage us so that when we go out there into the world, we can be effective witnesses. And they weren't cloistering themselves and isolating themselves from people who needed the Lord. They were going right to the place where people needed the Lord the most, really, which was the temple, you see. They were trying to convince their fellow Jews at this point that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So you'll notice, partners, private ministry, if you will, and then public ministry, because as they are going to the temple, just like they always had done, they come across this man who the Bible says in verse 2 was lame from birth. Now, this obviously wasn't the only miracle or wonder that was happening during the the early days of the church, but this is one that through the Holy Spirit he wanted to include in his word, and I think there's several reasons why this wasn't the only, like I said, miracle that was taking place. There are probably tons that had taken place between Pentecost that we talked about last week in Acts chapter 2, and even this event. But I think there's several reasons why God wanted this included because this man is a great picture really of man in general who is in a sense unable to help himself and and he needs a help and power outside of himself and obviously during these days many of these people would go to the temple because they thought well you know if people are going in to worship God that hopefully they'll have a heart for other people and at least make my condition that I'm in a little bit more bearable. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we're going to see tonight through Peter and John is that these people weren't just about trying to make the condition of this poor lame man more bearable. They wanted to change his condition. They wanted to introduce him to Jesus Christ who could make his condition wholly different than what it was up to this point. So they come across this man, and and it says in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, he asked them for money. Now, a couple things here. So, you've got partnership, you've got private time, private communion, private ministry, you've got public ministry, but then I want you to see You've got personal ministry. In other words, Peter and John weren't just about the crowd. They weren't just about ministering to the crowd. They were about, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, stopping and not just rushing by this man and going into the temple to even pray, They realized, here's an opportunity to personally minister to one individual. And they stopped what they were doing, and they latched on to this man. What this is reminding us of is, look, God wants us to have partners. Um, God wants us to have private time with Him. God wants us to have a public ministry. But much of our public ministry, if you will, out there in the public, is many times directed by God going to be those times of personal ministry where there's one person that God has directed us to, laid on our hearts, whatever, that God wants us to take the time to stop and minister to. And that's exactly what you see happening here. We have to be sensitive to that. Which is why, again, the whole book of Acts is about letting the Spirit of God lead us, guide us, direct us. Because we may wake up just like these guys did that day, and we may not have planned on meeting this lame man as we went into somewhere. And yet God is clearly saying, I want you to stop. Here's an opportunity for personal ministry. And so we, that's why we have to be open It's okay to have a plan and a schedule, but we've also got to let God have the last word, and maybe God wants us to stop dead in our tracks, and there's somebody right in front of us that God wants us to minister to in some way. And that was true here. God always is about the personal one-on-one ministry because every individual is important. Every person is of value to God. And we can't get so caught up in the great public ministry that we might be involved in to miss out on that one individual that God might want to use us to make an eternal difference in their life. The other thing I want you to see here, again, starting with the word P, is the word practice. And the reason that falls in here is you'll notice something. This opportunity came about for Peter and John not by them doing something different, Not by them doing something extraordinary, but by them doing what they would have done every day. In other words, what you see happening here is that God was using the consistent practice of his own followers to bring out opportunity. Are there times in our life as Christians where God will want to pull us out and, and show us something unusual and, and want us to be a part of something that may be you know, really different from what we're used to or what our norm is? Absolutely. But what we are should be encouraged by here is that Peter and John were just doing here in Acts 3 what they would have done every day of their lives. Every day of their lives. And yet this day was the day that they were going to stop and they were going to talk to this lame man. So it's out sometimes of our consistent practice of what we do for God every day. Sometimes it might even be the people that we rub shoulders with every day. And God may in his perfect timing and wisdom not really lay it on us to necessarily go any extra with a certain individual, but then all of a sudden one day it's like God is prompting us very clearly that he wants us to ask this person to, to have coffee or or to get together and talk or whatever about that. And And that's what we see again happening here. You and I don't a lot of times need to look outside the norm of our existence. And that's what I want to encourage you with. Practice. The consistent thing that Peter and John did every day, God was using that to bring about this opportunity. Then we get to this great thing. Peter looked, verse 4, directly at him. The words in the Greek language mean that that there was a union there. Peter was connecting with this man. He wanted to show this man, even by his body language, look, I'm not so much in a hurry to get to the temple even to pray to God that I'm not going to give you my full attention. People need to see that in us as Christ followers. We We can be so in a hurry and so busy that even sometimes the people that we interact with, it's almost like, We keep looking at our watches or our phones or something to get to the next thing and we're not really fully engaged with them. Jesus was never like that. Whoever Jesus was talking to, whoever Jesus was ministering to, whoever was in front of Jesus, Jesus gave them His full, undivided attention. And that's exactly what Peter was doing here. He was fastening On to this man. He wanted this man to see that this was important to Peter and he needed to have this conversation. And so he said, look at us. Now I want your full attention. I don't want you to be looking at all the people passing by thinking, oh, I'm losing money as all these people are passing by. I need to keep, you know, begging for all... No. I want you to look at me. I want you to give me as much undivided attention as I'm giving you. And he said, so the lame man paid attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. And obviously the thing he was expecting was some kind of money. But notice what Peter said. Peter said, I have no silver or gold. I gotta stop there. This is important. 99 and 9 tenths percent of ministry, even today in local churches, would have stopped right there. What I mean by that is, we don't have the money, then we can't do anything. I mean, th- that's that's our mentality many times, is, well, if I don't have any resources, if I don't have anything material, if, if I don't have any money, then how can we do ministry? We live in a world today where everyone thinks that the answer to every problem and every situation is, throw more money at it. Our government. Every problem is solved by just throwing billions of dollars at this and that, and somehow that's going to solve our problems. The world is that way. Every leader in the world... Every company, many times. Their whole mentality is, the answer to everything is money. And one of the great things we see here is, Peter is saying to this man, I don't have any money. But I love what he said. He said, but I do have something. I have Jesus. And I have the power and authority that comes with knowing Jesus. And so I love what Peter says. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And notice Peter is giving us a great example that God is never expecting us to give to others what we don't have. But one thing we all have as Christians is Jesus. We all walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We all have spiritual resources. Whether we have material, physical resources or not. And and let me say this. Is it okay to help someone out there's condition be a little more bearable by helping them in some way financially, materially, physically? Absolutely. But may we never get to the point as Christians and as a church where everything is solved by money where we think that every problem and situation is if we just had more money or more resources because money doesn't solve all problems and situations the answer to almost every problem and situation if not all problems and situations is one we always have and that's jesus christ in some form or another. And that's exactly what Peter was saying. Peter didn't feel bad that he didn't have silver and gold, because in Peter's mind, he had something better. I have Jesus Christ. I have His power and authority in my life. And so Peter goes on to say, what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Stand up and walk. Through the power of the One whose name is Jesus Christ the Nazarene, stand up and walk. That's what I can give you. I'm not only here, lame man, to make your condition more bearable, I'm here to change your condition through the power of Jesus Christ. And so the next P word is power. Through their partnership, through their private communion, through their public ministry, through their personal ministry, through their practice, Notice the power that begins to flow here. Power. Paul says to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God is measured by power. Not in idle talk, but with power. God wants His people to know and understand and even use The power that we have. It's one of the ways that we can be witnesses that Jesus Christ is very much alive by the power that we live by. And you see that evident here. It is a power beyond Peter, obviously. And I realize I'm not here to say that when we live by that power that You and I are either called or responsible to go around healing people. But I think every one of us is responsible to evidence the power of God in our lives in some way to others. However that looks, you see, God wants His power in our lives to be evident to others. And we see that here. And then notice, as God's power flows through these disciples, these followers, then the people that are touched by them become powerful too. Notice what happens. Peter then, verse 7, took hold of him by the right hand, raised him up, and at once the man's feet and ankles were made strong, solid, firm, strengthened. This man became strong through the power that was flowing through Peter and John. And again, this is a great picture, I think, of of why God included this. Because this lame man, who actually had to be carried and supported and sustained by others even to get to this place by the temple, who was unable to walk and do anything on his own for the most part, now look at him. Because of his contact with Jesus Christ and those who knew Christ and the power that flows through them. It's the same thing that God wants to do today, that there are people out there in this world who are unable, on their own, to overcome the things that life has has gotten them to. And yet we have the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ and the power and the authority that comes through His name. And God wants us to live in such a way that His power can flow through our lives and not only at times just to make uh, the condition of some poor soul's uh, condition more bearable, but to actually change the condition altogether. And to take this man from being someone who was unable to walk to someone here in a minute who's going to be leaping and praising God. notice, He jumped up, verse 8, stood and began walking around. He entered the temple courts with them, walking and leaping and praising God. In fact, you see Him praising God again in verse 9. Next P word. This unleashing of God's power through the followers of Christ led to praise. When we see God working, in our lives and other people's lives, it should always lead to praise. And remember, this word in the Greek language means to sing in honor of God. To sing in honor of God. Well, I better move on. There's a lot more to go to. Just so much in these chapters. I. And so, all the people, verse 9, saw him walk up, Walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the man who used to sit there and ask for the donations at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were astonished and amazed. Literally, they were dumbfounded at what had happened to him. So then we have this next part. While the man was hanging on to Peter and John, and by the way, this this is important, he wasn't hanging on Peter and John because he couldn't walk. Obviously, he was already leaping and jumping around. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that it's almost like in the in the original language he was he was embracing them. He was hugging on them. He was he had latched himself onto them and was identified with them. It was almost like in a physical way he was saying to the crowd, I'm with them now. We're buds. See? I'm with them. And that's such a great picture of as new people come in to the family of God, we ought to be willing to open up our arms and let them sort of latch on to us and, and hold on to us. And especially in those early days so that we can be a support and encouragement to them as they get involved in something so new like the church. Then he goes on to say, while the man was hanging on to Peter and John, all the people completely astounded ran together to them in the covered walkway called Solomon's portico. And this wasn't a small crowd. This was a multitude that was gathering. And so the next word I want to use here is perception. In fact, it is a word that is used here in the very next verse. When Peter saw this, that word saw in the original language literally means to perceive. So get this. Peter has a great partner in John. He's been doing his private ministry. It's set him up for public ministry. He stopped to have personal ministry through his everyday practice. The power of God is working through him. Power that brings out praise to God But now Peter understands something again through the Spirit of God within him. He is perceiving an even greater opportunity to go from personal ministry, of ministering to this one man, to now being able to share with a much larger crowd the truth about Jesus Christ. And that perception, again, is something that only comes about through letting the Spirit of God lead, guide, and direct us. And, and really, it, it, it's not something that even if we were just paying attention and sensitive to the situation and what God had called us to, that we wouldn't have picked up on either. I mean, Peter knew, God's called me now to be a witness, to testify to others what I know about Jesus. So obviously, here I am, I know that that's the focus of my life. God wants me to testify to others what I know about Him. And now all of a sudden I've got a crowd, a throng of people coming and, and they're right there. Oh my goodness, it's like it'd be like a fisherman just watching fish just jump into his, you know, net. It's like, obviously what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity. I'm going to seize this opportunity. And that's exactly what Peter did. Notice he went from perception to Proclamation. When Peter saw this, he declared, he began to proclaim to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if we made this man walk by our own power or piety? Notice, as easy as it would have been, and as obviously natural to our own flesh as it would have been for Peter and John to start basking, in the public admiration that would have been theirs, to take some kind of credit for what happened, it was just the opposite. It was like, well, we got nothing. The only reason this man is walking, who was lame all these years, is simply because we were just the channel. We were just the agent. It's Jesus Christ and His power. He's very much alive. And I want to tell you about Him. Not about me. I don't want to take this opportunity to glorify myself. I don't want to put myself up on some kind of pedestal so that you can praise me. I want to use this opportunity to proclaim Jesus. And so the final P word we see here in the rest of the chapter is the word person. Speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. Because everything else now that Peter is going to tell these people through his proclamation is all about Jesus. And the point of encouragement here to all of us is this. You will notice in the book of Acts, I think something very important. And that is that the early followers that were such effective witnesses for Jesus Christ would not allow themselves to get caught up in, you know, Doctrinal disputes and differences of this and that and whatever. They always kept the message centered on Jesus. They always brought it to Jesus. I'm not going to talk to you about that. I'm not going to get involved with that. Let's talk about Jesus. And I still think that is the most effective way to witness today. First of all, they've got to get who Jesus is. All those other things, even if they got them right, isn't going to matter if they don't get who Jesus is right. And that's why Peter now is going to begin talking to them about the person of Jesus in the past, present, and future as Jews. And he's going to go back. Notice, he begins actually in verse 3. Uh, 13 talking to them about old testament prophecies and connecting jesus back to even abraham isaac and jacob and the prophecies and promises that god made through their ancestors because peter wants them to understand this is no new god that we're introducing to you this is the god of the old testament scriptures this is the god who's always been revealed i am just connecting him you and I'm hoping that you will now see Jesus our Messiah through fresh eyes and that these Old Testament passages that as a Jew you know so well the light bulb will come on and you will finally see that these verses and these chapters and these passages are referring to Jesus Christ Peter was able to keep it on message and keep these people focused on Jesus And I think that's what God wants us to do. You know, so many Christians are like, well, I can't witness. And I realize there's a time and place where we need, you know, more knowledge and more information to be able to have conversations with certain people about spiritual things. But one thing that God gives every Christian, if we're truly a Christian, and that is every one of us obviously knows Jesus because we ask him to be our savior. And we know what he did for us. And we know and we have the conviction of who he is. He is the Son of God. And so, that's what Peter did. He took these Jews, very familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures, back to their Scriptures to show them Jesus in their Scriptures. Because see, here's what we need to realize. Even though they knew the Scriptures really well, they still missed Jesus. Now think about that. We have people today who don't know the Bible near as well as these Jews did the Old Testament. And so we have to be careful too and, and not presume that because I know the Bible, that I'm getting the message that God wants me to get from the Bible. That I'm not missing something big. Big. That I could be missing, which is all the more reason why we need the Holy Spirit to sort of open our eyes to things rather than trying to come to the Scriptures on our own and try to figure things out on our own. Because just like the Jews, if we come to the Scriptures that way, even as diligently as we may want to know and learn, we could miss some real key things. I mean, even Paul said to the Romans, we're going to see this in a couple weeks in our study of Romans, where Paul says, my fellow countrymen had a zeal for God. Nobody gets more excited about God than Jews do. But he said their zeal is not according to knowledge. And that word knowledge means an accurate and precise, correct knowledge. In other words, Paul's saying, you can get excited about God all day, but if that knowledge is not precise and correct, All that excitement doesn't really take you anywhere. Except around and around and around. Never get anywhere. So notice what Peter does. He wants to zero them in primarily on the fact that the Old Testament taught about the suffering servant. See, the reason why the Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah was because the Old Testament passages that they read, they locked in on the kingdom and the king coming to set up his kingdom. And they sort of just conveniently ignored the suffering servant passages where he wasn't just going to come one day to set up his kingdom and rule and reign on earth and restore the kingdom to Israel. That he was going to come as the suffering servant to die and to humble himself. So notice what Peter does. First of all, he says, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our forefathers has glorified his servant jesus notice he uses the word servant again down in verse 26 god raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your iniquity he wants to get across to them you realize that the old testament prophecies were about the servant of god as the son of god but then also this he also wants them to talk he wants them to know about the suffering notice verse 18 the things god foretold long ago through all the prophets that his christ would what suffer he has fulfilled in this way he's saying you guys you knew the old testament you had all these prophecies but you failed to lock in on the fact that all these Old Testament prophecies that talked about the suffering servant, you ignored. You just sort of like went by him. So when Jesus comes as the suffering servant, you rejected him as your Messiah because you're like, well, he didn't come to bring the kingdom, and he's letting the Roman authorities uh, you know, put him on a cross and, and kill him. So he he can't be our Messiah. And they totally missed him. Totally missed him. So Peter wants to take them back to the very Scriptures they know and say, guys, did you miss what the Scriptures said? He came to suffer and to die. Isaiah 53, I mean, we could go on and on here. And that's why you are also responsible for putting Him on that cross. You rejected Him because you did not see Him in your own Scriptures. The person of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus' ministry in the present and Jesus' ministry even in the future. But he wants to make it all about Jesus. Everything Peter said from verse 13 to the rest of the chapter is all about Jesus. In fact, Acts chapter 3 has more good Christology, if you will, in it than maybe any other chapter in the book of Acts. Notice he calls Jesus in verse 14 the holy and righteous one. Notice in verse 15, He is the originator of life. I mean, He is just laying down who Jesus is. Because you got to know who Jesus is. Because if we don't really know who Jesus is, then how can we truly trust, believe, and have confidence in Him? which is really the key of all this anyway. Notice what Peter says in verse 16. On the basis, upon, by faith in who? Jesus. By belief, trust, confidence in Jesus and His name. His very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given Him this complete health in the presence of you all. If we don't get who Jesus is right, then we'll never be moved to place our full faith, trust, confidence, hope, and everything in Him. It's why we've got to make sure we get Jesus right. That's why we've got to make sure other people get Jesus right. Before they get anything else right, they need to get who Jesus is. And that's why Peter's whole message And Acts chapter 3 is on the person of Jesus Christ. I'll share this by way of resource for some of you, and I will say this. If you're interested, this book is a little bit on the, I don't want to say technical, because that might discourage some of you from getting it. But I will say this, I mean, this was a textbook that I had years ago in seminary. And I still think to this day, even after it's been out for like 40 years, it is the best book on Jesus Christ. Uh, It is the best book on everything the Bible teaches about Jesus. And if you'd like to just do a study of Jesus and just learn about all the things that the Bible says about Jesus, Old Testament to New, from Genesis to Revelation, here's a book I'd like to recommend for you. It's called Jesus Christ Our Lord. And the author is John Walvord. W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. Jesus Christ, Our Lord. I think you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at CBD for around maybe 10 or $11. And maybe even ebook or Kindle version would be even less than that. If you're interested in just a book about Jesus and all the Bible says about Jesus comprehensively, I would encourage you to pick up that book and just slowly read through it and study it. Again, it's it's not going to be this easy, breezy read. It's going to be for those of you that really want to dig and study a little bit into who Jesus is and who the Bible reveals Him to be. But I think it would be rewarding for some of you who are really interested in that. And to really nail down maybe, wow, I never knew this about Jesus and that about Jesus and whatever. Because could there be a greater subject than Jesus? Could we study anyone or anything better than Jesus? I don't think so. And that's exactly what Peter was doing here. He was taking us back to the wonder of Jesus and making sure that these people knew who Jesus was. You and I, every day, I'll tie this in with Sunday And then we'll close. Remember I shared and encouraged and challenged some of you to get up every day and try to think of a promise of God, a provision of God, and then the purpose of God for your life every day and remind yourself of that. And in that, it doesn't hurt every once in a while. If you want to change things up every once in a while to just every day, think about a different aspect of Jesus Christ. I mean, you're not going to exhaust it, trust me. There's so much about Jesus Christ in the Word of God and what, who Jesus is and what He is that you and I will never come to the end of who Jesus Christ is. And I think everything about Him is such an encouragement to us. And, and here's why that's important that we keep Jesus at front and center of all that we do. Because for many of us, just like we sang about, you know, we might have a mountain in front of us, an obstacle in front of us, a challenge, a situation in front of us. And the key to overcoming it, to, to unlocking it, to getting through it, all of that is exactly the same that Peter said here in Acts 3. It's going to be the same thing, the same answer. It's going to be through faith in who Jesus is. It's going to be through believing and having confidence in who Jesus is, in His name, and all that the Bible has revealed about Him. That's really what's going to bring it back to us. There's going to be that that point of, do I believe in this Jesus? And do I really know who He is? And do I understand who He is? And do I trust Him? Do I have confidence in Him or not? And many times, even as Christians, that's what it really comes down to. What do I believe about Jesus? Let's make sure that we are living every day, trusting, believing, and placing our full confidence in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful chapter. We thank you, God, for all that's taking place here in the book of Acts as these followers of yours who've seen the resurrected Christ now begin to move through this life as witnesses. And God, they have much to encourage us with and much to to share with us as an example of what we should be focused on in our own lives. And God, I pray tonight that maybe something, maybe just one thing out of Acts chapter 3 resonated with each person here tonight was something, Lord, that they could pack up and take home with them and take to work tomorrow or school or throughout their day tomorrow that would be a support and encouragement to them. And most of all, Lord, help us to always come back to you. Help us to make it about you, God. Help us to come back to Jesus Christ and to focus on you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here tonight. We'll see you on Sunday.